Amen. You know, last week we talked about the fact that Jesus could see the faith of the friends. Remember that, Christian? And, you know, I was, I was after the, the lesson and everything, I was thinking through uh, what we had talked about, and I just didn't feel satisfied. I felt like we needed more. We needed more talk about the fact that Jesus can see our faith. And I thought, well, there's no place better to see the faith of the first century church than the book of Acts. And so I decided this morning that we would do a little digging into Acts chapter 18. Amen? So let's get our Bibles out. Let's look over in Acts chapter 18. Now, we need to keep in mind that as Christians, we've been commissioned by Jesus to go to all nations, or as he says in Mark 16, to go into all the world. And I don't think any of us have a problem with going or with moving or being a part of that plan, but a lot of times we like to do it on our own schedule and at our own pace. And yet Jesus, when he says that, he implies that we do it as fast as possible. That we really do it even beyond what is possible, because we know that with God, nothing is impossible. And so the idea is that we would just go out, and that we would do his work, and that we would share the gospel in every place around the cities, all over the towns, into the villages, because that is the heart of Jesus. I mean, after all, if Jesus asked you right now, Hey, Rich, would you go into the kitchen and make me a sandwich? You wouldn't wait until next week to do it. No, you get the job done. You go in there, you get the bread, and you know how to make a sandwich. You know, the fact is, we have been entrusted by God with a great call in the city of Seattle, in the campus ministry, because that's who I'm talking to here today, but specifically in the city of Seattle, and especially at UW or Shoreline, where we have most of our college students, we have been given a great charge. I mean, do you realize... That at University of Washington, there are over 12,000 Asian students. There are over 6,000, almost 7,000 international students at the University of Washington. You know, we don't have to go very far to get the gospel around the world. In fact, God has brought these people to us so that we could share with them the gospel and give them the opportunity to bring the gospel back to their hometown. Now, I'm not saying that some of us don't have to go. Some of us are going to have to give up the comfort of our homes and give up our job security, and we're going to have to go out there. We're going to have to be the foreign missionaries. But some of us are going to be called to stay. And those those of us who are called to stay, which is us right now, we have got to do our part, given to us by God, to evangelize the world starting here in Seattle. You guys with me here? You know, Paul understood this heart. In every city that he went, he had a routine that he would get into. And after getting into that routine, God would then use him in a powerful way to plant a church and strengthen the church and then to move on to another city and do the same thing. The title of our message this morning is, I have many people in this city. Oftentimes we doubt that, don't we? We doubt that. We go, where are all the people? This is Seattle. There's so many atheists. There are no people in this city. And yet Jesus reassures us that there are many people in this city. Let's start our reading here in Acts chapter 18 and verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. We'll stop right here. Our first point is the fact that Paul would go into a city and immediately focus on his discipleship. 
And what I mean by that is Paul would go into the city like he did here in Corinth, and he worked a job. How many of us have jobs? You go out and you work a job. And yet, as a disciple, because you're working that job, your time is taken up by your job, and you don't have the ability to go out and to spread the gospel as much as you want, maybe even as much as you feel that you are called. And yet, that's what Paul did. And so he would spend most days out of the week working, and then he'd find that one Sabbath day, and he'd go and he'd spread the gospel, and he'd preach the word. But then come the next day, he's right back at work. And I love the partnership that Paul makes with Aquila and Priscilla. This is a very necessary partnership, a very necessary partnership, because Paul would be called to more than just this basic form of discipleship right here. But he needed a relationship in order to do it. Yeah. I mean, I think some of us probably would have showed up to Corinth and felt a little discouraged. I mean, I'll be honest. I would have been discouraged. Mm-hmm. Corinth was known to be a wicked city. Mm-hmm. In fact, the way it's depicted in history is that it was the most wicked city of its time. Wow. It was known for its partying, its drunkenness, its immorality and idolatry. In fact, so many of the religions just centered around immorality and fornication. And so the people were very corrupt. In fact, down in Rome, when they would put on these giant plays for audiences of thousands of people, every time a Corinth was used in the, in the play, they were always depicting a drunkard. That was just the character. That was who they were known to be. That was what their stereotype was back in the day. You know, even the term to Corinthianize means to live a life of promiscuity. I mean, the idea of fornication and immorality and just that life that's just completely immoral all stems from the Corinth people. You know, Priscilla and Aquila would of course be an incredible encouragement to Paul and really prepare him for what was to come. You know, that wasn't his goal though. His goal wasn't to go into the city and then work and then make a couple disciples on the side. Paul's goal was to go from discipleship because to apostleship, because he knew that he was called by God. And we see his apostleship starting here in verse 5. It says, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. You know, what we see right here is his basic form of discipleship, working a job and making disciples on the side. He knew that this was not going to evangelize a lost city. He knew that he needed to put his calling into practice of full-time ministry. So as soon as these younger guys, Silas and Timothy, showed up, he makes them work so that he can go out and preach the word. Isn't that awesome? You know, some of you guys are wondering, why are we picking this apart? How does this apply to me? Trust me, we're getting there. We're getting there. You know, for these disciples and for many disciples, our calling is not just to work jobs and make disciples on the side. But God is calling you to more than that, which is full-time ministry. Mm, and eventually you'll get to a point where your life is all about preaching the word. Mm. Some of us are going to be called to be missionaries like Nicole. 
You're going to be called into a city and your full-time job, your role, your call is going to be to preach the gospel to the lost. And that's an exciting calling, isn't it? I mean, not every disciple is going to have that opportunity in their lifetime, but that should be what we attain for. That should be what we strive for because that just means that you get to be a disciple around the clock and really do it whenever you can. You know, people out there, they're, they're just waiting for someone to be sure of what they know. Yeah. I mean, to be sure of what they know. I mean, they, there's enough doubters in this world, but they want to run into a disciple of Jesus who is absolutely sure of the faith and the hope and the love that they have in Christ. You know, right here we see him get to the synagogue ruler, Crispus, and Crispus gets baptized. And then he baptizes his whole family. Because that's what you do when you're a disciple. You get the message out to your family. And you want your family to be disciples. And of course, they all get baptized. And this is the start of the church in Corinth. But you know, what an end right there. We go on and we read in verse 9. We see that Paul had a fellowship. And not a fellowship with the the brothers and sisters, but a fellowship with Jesus himself. Look in verse 9. It says, one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. I find no joy in this passage in the weakness of Paul, but you can be absolutely sure that Paul was a weak man right here. I mean, he was discouraged. Why would the Lord tell somebody not to be afraid unless they were being afraid, right? I mean, God doesn't waste words like we do. He was afraid. He says, keep on speaking. Why? Because Paul wanted to stop preaching the word. He baptized a few people and he wanted to stop. He was discouraged. He says, do not be silent because that was what Paul wanted to do in his sinful nature. He wanted to shut up the gospel and not share it with the person next to him, even though that was the calling of him in Corinth. And Jesus says, I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. Were they going to attack? Yeah, they were going to attack him, but it wasn't going to be harmful to him. You know, as disciples, we're always subject to attack. Be it through some sort of trial of, you know, or, or some sort of persecution or a hardship that Satan puts on us. We're always going to be under attack. But Jesus says, because I'm with you, it's not going to harm you. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. I mean, he went from wanting to just shut up the gospel and be totally quiet about his faith to now being fully faithful and believing the calling of God so that he could go and preach for a year and a half. That's an incredible conversation with Jesus right there. I mean, he believed in the message that came his way. You know, as disciples, we need that fellowship with Priscilla and Aquila, but we even more so need the fellowship with Jesus. You don't have quiet times in the morning. You're not spending time with your Lord You're not spending time in prayer and Bible study. You will not have the faith to fulfill your calling. And you will feel tempted, like Paul, to shut up the gospel. You will feel tempted in your spirit not to say anything to anybody. And maybe you've had some of those moments even this last week. I mean, evidently, by by the numbers that Danny's telling me, 
We didn't have a lot of those moments. I mean, sharing our faith with over 3,400 people in one week wow. is incredible. Yeah. We didn't have a lot of fearful moments, but I'm sure we had some. Yeah. I'm sure there were times when Satan got in your ear and he filled you with doubt or insecurity, some sort of fear, and you, you didn't share your faith the way you knew you needed to. But maybe you said a little prayer. Maybe you spent some time in the Word. You got filled up with faith, and you went back out, and you did what you were called to do. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. The power of God's Word. You know, in Psalm 139, we understand not just the fact that God is omniscient, but God is omnipresent. You know, right here, he says, I have many people in this city. Yeah. This is a faithful statement because at this point, there are not many people in this city. There's a lot of wicked people in the city. And God says, yet yeah, there are people that, uh, that, that, that I have personally that are just waiting for you to go share your faith with them. And this is a hard statement to believe. But this statement alone gave Paul the faith to stay for, for a year and a half. How do we know that? Because in verse 11, it says, so. So Paul stayed for a year and a half. And preach the word. So, because he believed the message, he was able to live out his calling. Back in Acts chapter 13, in verse 48, it says, All who were appointed for eternal life believed. You see, God is working outside of time. He already knows how you're going to respond to this message today. He already knows what difference it's going to make in your life tomorrow or not. God works outside of time. And when you read Psalm chapter 139, you see Paul's, uh, David's heart when David says, Lord, you know my days. You've appointed my days. And that is truly how God works. God is always working outside of time. Yeah. I mean, before things were even created in this world, God wrote names in the book of life. Just read Revelation 13, 8 and 17, 8. I mean, God knew who was going to respond, who would be appointed to respond to the gospel. And yet sometimes we have a hard time believing that. And the answer is you need fellowship with Jesus. Then here at the very end of chapter 18, well, this section anyways, in verse 12, it says, while Gallio, the proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all returned. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatsoever you know right here we see the fact that paul is now facing hardship i mean once you've got the discipleship down you've got your convictions down then you move on to apostleship you accept your calling from from jesus christ and then you get some fellowship with jesus now you're going to face some hardship it doesn't get easier because you walked with jesus in fact now your convictions from your discipleship get tested it gets challenging it gets hard Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, everybody's going to be salted with fire. No one's going to get out of this easy. And that truly is the calling of all of us. And God uses this man, Gallio, to work in a powerful way. Now, this is a pagan guy, a pagan governor. He has 
He's not a Christian. He's not even Jewish. And yet God works powerfully through him in order to free Paul from the situation. But then you even see something crazy happen where all of the people then turn on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and they beat him. But you know what's so amazing is, again, God is sovereign. God knew this was going to happen. And we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, that Sosthenes then becomes co-author of the book of 1 Corinthians. I mean, God knew this was coming. God knew this was coming. Paul was kicked out. Sosthenes was beaten. And we can only fill in the blanks. But you know that Paul went back, reached out to Sosthenes, changed his life. And, of course, God used him in a powerful way. You know, when hardship comes, and it will, if you're not getting the fellowship with Jesus, you're not going to be able to withstand that hardship. Now, you wonder, why is all this important? Fun little Bible study, wasn't it? Kind of some interesting information. Some of you guys are probably thinking I just read a bunch of commentary and just kind of reiterated it, which isn't the truth. But, you know, what's the point here? Why is this important? Well, I believe that this right here, sets up for us a framework for how we need to walk with God. I mean, number one, you got to have convictions. you got to have your discipleship down pat. you got to understand that everyone starts making tents. Everyone starts working jobs. Everyone starts, you know, being tied down by different things in life, family and, and homes and bills. That's just part of life. That's discipleship. Paul had to get his life on straight. But then we see that Paul accepts his calling with Jesus And he accepts the calling of apostleship, and he's able to take his discipleship to another level. This was not for his salvation. This was just because he was being called by God. And I think some of us here are being called by God, and we're rejecting the call. We have yet to go, you know what? I want to fully embrace this call to be a preacher, to be a preacher's wife, so that I can lead women all over the world to Jesus Christ. I mean, you've got to really wonder, why is this important? It's important. Because we've got to learn how to have a fellowship with Jesus to withstand all types of hardship. You know, we live in a world-class city, do we not? I mean, I don't know about you, but moving here from Syracuse, New York was so exciting. So exciting. I mean, I was in Syracuse. Courtney and I were in Syracuse. I love the fact that there was a really small church and it was never really expected to go get into the thousands of numbers, you know. It was kind of fun and a family feel, and we could go down the street and walk, and deer are running through our yard in the middle of the city. Wow. I mean, it was just kind of a cool atmosphere. But trust me, there was everything in me that wanted to get out of Syracuse. In fact, my first sermon I ever preached to the church in Syracuse, I told them my goal is in the next two years to get all you guys out of Syracuse. I mean, there's so much more to the world than this little city of Syracuse. There are world-class cities. And so when the Lord called us to Seattle, it was exciting. It was an incredible opportunity to come to Seattle, this amazing place that was fully diverse, and we'd be able to meet new people and and be a part of something a little bit bigger than Syracuse. And you know, when we got here, there was some temptation to not believe the fact that God had many people in this city. And we worked the UW campus for a year. When I say we, I mean everybody. I mean, the whole church was up there at the University of Washington. We had everybody up there. And yet, after a whole year, nothing was happening. Nothing was growing. We were not a club on campus. We weren't meeting open people. It was just not moving. You guys remember those days? Some of you guys remember it. Other ones are, you don't remember it because we repented. 
and then you came out and became disciples. But you know, it's hard to believe that God had many people here. But we've got to believe that God's got many people, that we live in an open place. Today, the population of the world is growing faster than the size of the church. And you go, why is that a big deal? Because it is. Because it is. It means it's going to be harder and harder to evangelize this world. It's going to be more and more challenging. The, the light's still going to be bright, but the room's going to be a lot bigger. And it's going to take a lot more to get to the ends of the earth. You know, I ask people, why did the saber-toothed tiger go extinct? Anyone know? I'll tell you what. It's a simple answer. More saber-toothed tigers died than were born. I mean, right? Isn't that how everything goes extinct? I mean, at some point, the deaths outweigh the... The, the lives and then eventually they don't live anymore right. and and there is a chance that the church will go extinct no there's not i don't believe in that at all i mean the bible says that that the kingdom is unshakable right yeah, the right, gates right. of hades will never overcome it god yeah. will always raise up another leader to take it in fact he says in matthew 21 43 he says i will always have the kingdom in the hands of somebody that's going to produce its fruits but yet i i pray that in our day i pray that in our day we'll be able to see the nations evangelized. But there's a chance that we won't. There is a chance that we won't. There is a chance that maybe it's not going to go extinct, but it's not going to grow fast enough. And so it's up to every disciple to have inside their hearts a burning desire to seek and save the lost all over the world. You know, we're we're not playing games. We're not playing church. This isn't just a social group that comes together and talks about a guy that lived 2,000 years ago named Jesus. This is, this is more than that. Yeah. This is the family of believers. This is the holy household of God. Yeah. We are Christians following in the footsteps of Jesus. Yeah. We have so much more in common than the fact that we know about some guy named Jesus. Yeah. And this past week, I mean, I was so inspired by the campus ministry. And, you know, no matter where I'd be preaching this morning, if I was preaching in the LA House Church or if I was called to a different city to preach there, I would tell whoever I was preaching to, I would tell them how inspired I have been by the campus ministry in Seattle. Because your example is one to be imitated all over the world. I mean, at this rate, one week, over 3,000 people? At this rate, it would be possible to evangelize Seattle in our day. All by ourselves. At this rate. But are we going to keep the pace? Are we going to keep the joy? Are we going to keep the faith? Are we going to keep the zeal? I mean, it truly is inspiring. I've shared the good news with people in other cities, other states, other countries. I've told them what God's doing here. I've told them about the faith of the Seattle disciples. But I hope there's not going to come a day where we're going to stop talking about the faith of the Seattle disciples. I hope there's not going to come a day when the fire fizzles out, when the zeal washes away. I hope that we can keep the fire in the church. I mean, this is still going to be the church in two weeks of God after the blitz is over, is it not? And so we've got to make sure that if it's up to us, we are going to have the hearts of disciples. You know, I really believe 
that God has people all over the city just waiting for you to tell them about Jesus, waiting for me to tell them about Jesus, waiting for my wife to tell them about Jesus, waiting for my three-year-old son to tell them about Jesus. I mean, there are people everywhere, and God's going to line these people up and give them the opportunity to get to know Jesus and to get to know all about his word. You know, we have got to focus in on our discipleship so we can strengthen our lives so that God can then use us to do even greater things. Maybe we don't even need to talk about the fact that you're being called to be an apostle because you just need to go and find a career. You need to go and find a job. you got to get a a vision for your life and how God's going to use you in a great way. And then later in life, God will take you on to greater things. But maybe right now, your focus just needs to be discipleship. But some of us, we've got the vision. We've got the calling. We need to accept the apostleship of Jesus. Then we need to go fellowship with Jesus to be able to withstand the hardship. You know, I think often about the numbers of lost people in our world. I mean, I've stared into the eyes of too many lost people to live a carefree day again. There's too many lost people to live a careless day and waste a day and waste time and and not share our faith the way that we need to. You realize in DACA, there are 17 and a half million people. In Cairo, 18.7 million people. In Beijing, over 20 million people. Shanghai, 23.7 million people. In Tokyo, there are 38 million people. And Christianity is not a prominent religion over there. It's not even a narrow road. It's not an option for a lot of these people. And yet we have a hard time sharing our faith where it's legal, where we're more likely going to get a pat on the back. Even those that reject us are going to say, hey, I'm very happy that you guys are doing this for our community. I mean, we live where it should be easy. And there should be nothing holding us back. I'll tell you what, the only reason we're not going to evangelize the world in our day is because we don't want to. That's the only reason. I mean, we got the Bible. Jesus died on the cross. We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. The only reason we're not going to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth is because we don't want to. But I know you want to. I know you want to. That's why you're following Jesus. That's why you committed your life to this. That's why you're telling your friends, telling your family, telling the lost. That's why you told 3,400 people last week. Because you believe in this. You believe in this. Now, we do have churches in places like Mexico City. 21 million people in Mexico City. Places like Manila. We got people in Manila that are landed, that have homes, that are reaching out right now to lost throughout that city. We have a church in Sao Paulo, 21 million people. And our churches are growing in Brazil. We have a church in Delhi as of earlier this year. And it's not just growing. It's multiplying. I mean, they're converting people that were Hindu, that were Muslim, that were atheists. The good news just continues to come on in. But that's not the only church we got in India. We got churches throughout India. We got churches throughout Asia. It's only just begun. Are you excited about the opportunity to share the gospel with the lost? 
I mean, do you understand what we've been called to? You know, in Acts chapter 19. In verse 20, it says, In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. It spread widely, not a little bit, not throughout the neighborhood, throughout everywhere. And then it also grew in power. What does that mean? That the young men, the young women were raising up and they too could powerfully preach the word. Then again, in Acts chapter 21, verse 20, it says, when they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law. Wow. They're not just converting Gentiles, they're converting Jewish people, religious people. Sometimes it's the religious people we need to focus on because they're already zealous for the law. Then you put the true gospel in their hands. Then you give them the opportunity of being true disciples with true doctrine. And they take it and they run with it. And the word of God grows in power. At the very end in Acts chapter 28, Paul's imprisoned in Rome. In the verse 20, says, for this reason I've talked to you, um, I, I've asked to see you and talk to you, it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know that the people everywhere are talking against this sect. Paul's in chains in Rome. Yeah. Now he's, he's in chains to procuring guards. He's in chains to people, guards. And literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he's got chains and he's got guys that are chained to him. I mean, he literally had a captive audience all day long. And he's there in his home, and people were allowed to and fro. Literally, people are coming into the house, having conversations with Paul, and then leaving, and then new people are coming in. I mean, he's having Bible talks, and if he runs out of people to share his faith with, he at least going to talk to the guards. And you think the guards are going to become Christians? Look over in, in Romans chapter 16. Come on, bro. Come on, bro. In Romans 16, verse 1, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. And he goes on, and he goes on, and he goes on, and he talks about all these people that had been converted, that have strengthened the church and done great things, and he goes on to talk about the fact that there are some in Caesar's household that even send their greetings. I mean, those procuring guards, when they got off shift of being chained to Paul, where are they going to go? They're going to work in the palace. They're going to be chained and surrounding the, the Caesar. And you think they're not going to talk about the gospel? I mean, I'm sure they went on in there and they said, Caesar, we got to tell you about this crazy guy we got chained to earlier today. <laughs> but eventually, they were going to go in there and they were going to share the gospel with him. And we don't know if Caesar ever became a disciple. In fact, the, 
The point is he probably never did. And yet there were people that were in his household that even came to Christ. I mean, it's really incredible the opportunity that we can have when we have degrees, when we have the ability to go and to meet new people that have prominent positions, to cook their food, to wash their feet, and to serve them. We have the opportunity then to bring, to bring the gospel to them. I mean, I hope you understand that you going to school is not just about getting a degree to go get a job. It's not just about getting a job. It's about getting, giving yourself opportunities to reach out to more people, more prominent people. I mean, I, I've always admired the person that goes to school with the hopes of getting a degree that would line them up with opportunities to advance the gospel. I mean, I always admire that. I always admire that. A, a, a young man by the name of Aaron Fischichini, I love his story. He was an atheist. He's going to law school. He becomes a Christian. He gets zealous about the gospel, reached out to his mom. She becomes a Christian, still is down in Phoenix. And yet he continued to pursue getting his bar because he wanted to be able to say, I am, an, I am a lawyer. I can reach out to people that are now lawyers. Yeah. He went through the hassle, the studying, the time the effort and the sacrifice to see that happen. Back in Acts chapter 28, at the very end of the book here, it says in verse 30, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's amazing the opportunity that Paul had right here Paul is preaching, and this isn't the end of his life. His end of, the end of his life would come later on, but this is the end of him writing many of his letters. And we see that without hindrance, he continued to preach the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know what version you're reading, but many of the versions um, depict this passage a little bit differently. And they actually say that even though there's opposition, even though there was hindrance, he preached regardless and despite the opposition. So the point is that the pain didn't stop, the hardship stopped. The point is that no matter what came Paul's way, he was going to preach the word. Now I want to close and just let you guys know how excited I am for the campus retreat this year. I mean, the campus retreat is going to be incredible. We got two of, of some of the most profound campus ministers in all the movement flying all the way up from the University of Southern California and they're going to come and they're going to be our guest speakers nice. on that weekend, Aaron and Sheila Turner. And it's incredible what God's done through their ministry, but they're going to come and they're going to give us some incredible wisdom. And you go, well, where are we going to be staying? I mean, are we going to be sleeping on the floors like we did a few years ago? No, we're not. We're in cabins that are heated with hot water and plenty of showers and really nice bathrooms and beds. You just got to bring a pillow and a blanket. And we're going to have so much fun. The food is all provided. I mean, they're cooking all the food for us. It's going to be buffet style. You have as many burgers as you want, brothers. Or as much salad as you like, sisters. I mean, it's, it's going to really be awesome. And you know, in the past, like some of us have been distracted. We're like, leaving things to go and like grab the food and prepare the food and it steals from their not this year everybody including myself get to go to everything the whole time why because they're doing all the food 
And then all the church in Portland and Eugene are coming up. And I didn't mention that Aaron and Sheila are bringing about a dozen of their campus students up. I mean, this this is going to be incredible. All for only $95. It's going to be all provided. And it's going to be amazing. We're going to be there for three days. Two nights. They have an amp, an outdoor amphitheater that holds 600 oh, yeah. comfortably. Now, we're not going to fill the whole thing. Maybe we will. But at the bottom of the amphitheater is a giant fire pit and then a, 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 a stage where you can plug in speakers. So we're going to be able to have some devotionals there. We're going to do our church service in this really cool long room that used to be a chapel. And it's nice. I mean, this is this is gonna be the nicest. This is gonna be the nicest campus retreat I've ever been to. And so, yeah, it's a little bit more than last year, but trust me, it's going to be worth it. You know, guys, whether you're in Seattle or whether you're in another city, you can always read the passage the same. I have many people in this city. Let us hold on to that passage. Let us believe the words of Jesus. Let it drive the fear out of your heart. That very real fear that some of you guys are too manly to admit, but you know you got it. That you're afraid to admit, but you know you got that humanistic fear. Let that word, let those words of Jesus rest on your heart in place of those fears so that we can preach the gospel the way that we need to. Thank you guys. Love you.